0: Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy.
1: And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today.
0: Hey guys, I'm Jamie Beebe.
1: And I'm Jake Deptula.
0: We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking, brought to you from podcast one.
1: Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words.
0: Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know?
1: We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked.
0: So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
1: back to check the locks podcast as always i'm john connor
0: and i'm olivia cornu
1: saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case as always olivia before we get into the case this week how are you we are recording it is a friday the sun is still out this is very strange how are you doing it's great to see in the daytime
0: i know so weird tgif But yeah, daytime, daylight's still happening. This never happens for us. So we're in for a really good treat. No delirium kicking in, but I'm doing good.
1: I know. It's uh, early evening. We have our senses about us. I don't know uh, how this is going to go. It's so much different than how we normally record. But I know. Thank you for hanging out. I am super excited about this week's case. I've been wanting to do it for a minute. I've been kind of figuring out how I wanted to tell the story. I finally got it down. And I am just so excited to cover it with you. I know I sent you the notes. Did you get a chance to peek at all? Or
0: So you sent me the show notes, and I think the caption was enough. So I did not peek. I'm going to do the surprise factor because I was like, mm, I think I'm good on reading this. I just need to hear it as it goes.
1: Well, I'm super excited to cover it with you. Also, for our listeners in the Great White North, we're talking our Canada listeners this one is a special episode for you, as this is our first case that actually crosses the border. So Check the Locks is going international this week, and I'm super excited to get into it.
0: Who would have thought it? Episode 22 is going to be international.
1: Double deuces. We got to get on the plane and go across the border.
0: I want to know if anybody's ever heard of this.
1: I think some people probably have. I don't think it's as well known as it should be, and that's why I wanted to cover this one. So. Okay
0: let's jump right in. Let's get started.
1: Awesome. It's March 1997 in Vancouver, Canada. On the night of the 22nd, a sex worker named Wendy Stitch Eistetter was working her usual corner. Stitch was a 31-year-old mother of two with a serious drug dependency, and prostitution was an easy way to fund her addiction. While on the corner, an old pickup truck approached. The driver offered Stitch money to come home with him, and she accepted. She was driven to a trailer on an isolated farm. During sex, the man attempted to handcuff Stitch, but she was able to fight him off. Enraged, the man followed her to the kitchen and stabbed her several times, but again, Stitch was able to fight him off. Barely clothed, she fled the farm and was picked up down the road by an elderly couple. Then, in August 1997, Marnie Frey was approached by the same man. Marnie was a heroin addict, and the man offered to buy her drugs in exchange for sex. Again, the woman was taken to the same isolated trailer on the same rundown farm. After sex, the man turned violent, and Marnie was never seen again. Between 1995 and 1997, 21 women vanished from Vancouver's east side. In 1998, another nine women would vanish. So I want to stop right there for a second. 21 women disappearing in a two-year period And then another the following year, like, what are your initial thoughts as we're kind of going through this? Because to me, I was like, that is a crazy high number.
0: Yeah. And I just wonder if all of these women, and you'll probably get to that if they were all sex workers or drug addicts or both. And I wonder how long it took police to like realize that all these people were going missing and kind of taking it seriously, you know?
1: So we're going to get to that. And I have a feeling that through part of the story, you're going to be pretty angry. Because there's a part of the research that I was doing where I was like, this is infuriating. So I think you're hitting on some themes here. And I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of plays out and how you feel about it as we go through.
0: All right. Well, let's keep going.
1: Family members were filing police and missing persons reports. But because the women were sex workers and drug addicts, the Vancouver police did not investigate or suspect foul play. Police told the concerned families that their loved one probably just jumped on a greyhound or were staying with friends but the sex workers on Vancouver's Skid Row, they knew that they were being targeted by a monster hunting the streets. The women would be out working and they would notice their friends no longer there, never to be heard from again. Because there were no bodies, police wouldn't consider a serial killer and blame the disappearance on the lifestyles the women led. Women were being reported missing, police were doing nothing, and the man in the old white truck was still hunting the Vancouver streets. In February of 1999, Brenda Wolf would go missing. Wolfe, too, had a drug habit, and she was the 53rd woman to vanish from Vancouver without a trace. Again, police were doing nothing, until one detective started to take notice. Laura Mershenher was on his second day of the job as the head of Vancouver's missing persons unit when he received a phone call. The anonymous caller said he had been told that women's handbags, ID cards, and bloody clothes Could be found at a ranch just outside of Vancouver. Then a name was given. The owner of the farm was Robert Willie Picton. So, before we talk a little bit about Willie Picton, I know you had some ideas around like what were the police doing or what were they going to do. You know, we are now at 52 missing women. So, as you were going through, where are you at as far as, you know, feeling the story out now?
0: Well, I'm thankful for Laura Mersh her and that he was an eager detective that wanted to start investigating this on day two. But I just, I hate that when, you know, people just blow off people because they are an addict or a sex worker. And it kind of just brings me back to the case where I sat on as a juror and the defense was just trying to say, well, are you going to believe someone who was on drugs at the time? Like, it doesn't matter. She came and told us that she was on drugs at the time of the death. But like, that doesn't mean that you should discredit her statement about her children. You know, it's frustrating that the judicial system is that way.
1: No, I agree. And I mean, there's a lot of people that do a lot of different drugs. And if we didn't listen to people or that was like a prequalification for whether or not I should listen to you,
0: we wouldn't listen to anybody.
1: Yeah. And there would be a lot of things that, you know, don't get handled that should.
0: Mm hmm. Well, let's hear about who this Willie is.
1: So Robert Willie Picton was born on October 24, 1949, to Leonard and Helen Louise. They were a family of pig farmers living in Port Coquitlam on the outskirts of Vancouver. Picton was one of three children. His older sister Linda was sent to live in Vancouver as a pig farm was not where a young lady should grow up. However, Picton and his younger brother, David, remained on the farm. Picton's mother was a workaholic with an industrious spirit. Because of this, the kids were put to work on the farm at an early age and didn't really have much of a childhood. Some recall Picton's mother caring more about the pigs on the farm than her two children. Picton was a weak child and didn't have a lot of confidence, and because of this, he would constantly seek approval from his parents and his brother. He struggled in school and had a hard time making friends. Now, he lived on a farm with pigs. He worked that farm from a young age, and he was known as the child in class with poor hygiene. Children didn't want to play with him, They just picked on him a lot. Now, as a child, Picton had a calf on the farm. And like many kids, he didn't see the calf as livestock, but he saw it as a pet. He would feed it, pet it, hang out with it. Because you're a little kid, you don't understand this cow is here for a reason. After returning home from school one day, Picton's father had slaughtered the calf, which left Picton devastated. It's theorized that because of this, the child learned not to get close to anyone or anything, or it'd be taken away. Now, as children, Willie and his brother learned to drive on the farm. One day, David was driving and hit a boy on a nearby road. Instead of reporting it to authorities, the boy's mother disposed of the child in the lake while he was still alive. Both Picton boys witnessed her dispose of the body. So I just want to stop right there and talk about the impact that that would have on you as a child. If, you hit, if you're eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, you're driving when you shouldn't be, you hit somebody and your mom throws that person into a lake while they're still alive, to dispose of the body. Let me get your reaction to that. Like what's in your head right now?
0: I think I would have turned out to be a serial killer. I mean, this poor child, like he builds this relationship with this little cow. And then when he's still young, he witnesses that he doesn't know how to be a normal human. Obviously, he doesn't have a role model because his mother is killing innocent children instead of calling 911 and having, you know, saying it was an honest mistake. It's, it was gross. That's a lot. That's a lot.
1: When I read that, I was like, I can't believe that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just one of those things that.
0: These moms who are relentless. Are, well,
1: it's one of those things that when you're sitting at a kitchen table and you're just reading and you get to that part, you're like, oh, that's like a punch in the stomach. Like, that's insanely cruel.
0: It's like, yeah, that's why I'm reading and researching this case right there. Red flag number two. I mean, really killing a calf. He probably didn't understand, but they should have told their child that. But like, this is like, okay, what's wrong with this whole family?
1: And I also think it was in the fifties. So like with killing a calf, I don't think there was much talking about feelings and stuff like that at that time. But the disposing of the body like that, I mean, not even a body, you're disposing of a live human being. Of a child. Yeah. Insane.
0: I'm just saying that my family has cattle and we don't openly talk. I mean, I haven't openly talked about it, but I know as an adult that they have these cows to kill to eat. And so like I know when I'm over there and I'm eating beef, I'm eating their cows. But like my little cousin grew up with these cows and I would assume that he would know like, hey, we're raising these cows to be dinner, you know, so.
1: like, you remember Jeffrey? I used to keep him in the pen. He tastes delicious, right? <laughs> Like, you know, that's, you know, that when you're on a farm, but I think up until a certain age, it's probably something that like, you don't necessarily grasp.
0: Yeah. You don't process it or understand.
1: Yeah. Now, as a teenager, Picton worked as a butcher's apprentice in 1970 at the age of 22, Picton was working full time on the family farm. And in 1978, his father passed away. A year later, his mother followed. This left the farm to both boys, but Willie was the only one interested in keeping it running. Now, when you hear farm, you may think of beautiful pastures and barns. This was absolutely not the case. The Picton farm was run down and filled with broken down vehicles. Outbuildings filled with junk and debris were scattered across the property. And in the middle, a decrepit trailer in which Picton lived. In 1994, the farm on the outside of Vancouver was prime real estate. The brothers actually sold a piece of the land for $2 million. Now, Picton would not be considered a handsome man and had a hard time with women and people in general, but now he had more money than he knew what to do with and paying prostitutes would be of absolutely no concern. In 1996, the Picton brothers turned a barn on the farm into a social club called Piggy's Palace Good Time Society and used it as an excuse to throw wild parties.
0: If I had $2 million, I'm not opening a social club and I'm definitely not going to be paying for prostitutes. What would you do with $2 million, John?
1: I would open a social club and pay for prostitutes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If I had $2 million, we would pay off our house. We'd put money in the bank, live off interest. My kid's college would be paid for. We'd have a house here in Michigan. It's all very like, we've talked about it. If we ever like came into some crazy amount of money, it would very much be like,
0: We're set for life. And this is $2 million in 1994. So, yeah,
1: in 1994, $2 million was about the equivalent of $3,996,909. So, I mean, if you think about it today, it's like having $4 million in 1994, which, you know, you could probably have yourself a good time, you know? But these seem like the kind of guys that would be like, let me just put up a pole barn, get a band in here, get a bunch of chicks in here. You know what I mean? We're just going to party, brother. You know what I mean? That's kind of the vibe that I got when I was doing the research. Also, the fact that they named it Piggy's Palace Good Time Society.
0: Sounds cult-like.
1: Yeah. Now, Willie Picton would bring prostitutes back to his dingy trailer to have sex and indulge in hard drugs. He would often pay them to stay for several days, during which time they would continue to have sex with him and help clean the farm. So going back to Shenher's investigation, he actually entered Picton's name into a police database. Immediately, he found a hit. Willie Picton had been charged with imprisoning and stabbing a sex worker. The victim's name was Wendy Stitch Eister. However, prosecutors dropped the charges because Eister was a heroin addict and felt she would not be a convincing witness.
0: Which is exactly what happened in my murder trial that I was part of, which is ridiculous. Clearly, I listen, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a witness to a crime, it doesn't matter. If you're a heroin addict, doesn't necessarily mean they're on drugs at that time when something's happening, but uh, that's beside the point. This just gets me on a soapbox.
1: Well, and I think you also have to start being careful when you are saying, this is what happened in my murder trial.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was not on trial for murder. I was a juror in a double murder trial.
1: People are gonna on the internet are going to be like, you hear that Olivia from Married at First Sight was on trial for murder? She <laughs> talked about it on her podcast.
0: That's pretty funny. Murder court.
1: At this point, Detective Shenher got in touch with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer who had initially arrested Picton. So we're in Canada, we're talking Mounties. Riding horses, the red jackets, the big hats.
0: Yeah, I feel like I just got taken back in time.
1: Both officers were actually stunned that the charges had been dropped. Picton's pig farm actually fell outside of Vancouver's city limits, and because of this, it lied in the jurisdiction of the RCMP. Shenher believed that Vancouver police and the RCMP should be able to work together, but higher-ups in both departments gave pushback on the idea. Shockingly, full cooperation between the departments would not come until several years later. Determined, Detective Shenher went back to the anonymous phone call. The informant said that a female friend of his had attended wild parties popular with bikers and gangs at a barn turned venue called Piggy's Palace. It was this woman who had told the informant that she had seen the handbags and bloody clothes while attending the party. Shenher was actually able to track the woman down, but she was unwilling to cooperate with the police. He then positioned the departments to send in an undercover officer to befriend Picton, but again was immediately struck down. Instead, Picton was placed under surveillance for three days, but did nothing during that time to arouse any suspicion. So let me ask you, you know, as we're going through this and we're thinking about this detective who's like, I think this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And you're getting all this pushback. I know for me, that would be incredibly frustrating. And it's incredibly frustrating as you're reading through to be like, just listen to the dude. But I don't know if, you know, you're getting the same kind of sense.
0: Yeah, it's really annoying to me. That's the word I'm going to use, annoyed. Because what is the harm in this guy spending his time? This is his job. His job is to be in, like, the missing persons department. So if he has a lead that could turn into something, even if it just turns out that it's this one attack, this person should be held responsible for attacking this sex worker, the one that got away. And so just let him do his job. Why does it have to go through all these people just to say, like, I have a hunch that this man's doing bad things? Regardless, something is happening at the Piggy Palace, so we need to see what's going on. Okay, so get him for drug charges and prostitution. Like he's doing bad things, putting behind bars, and let the man do his job.
1: Yes, and I don't know if it's because of the time. You know, this is in the nineties. You know, maybe the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were like, we don't want to even think that something like this is happening in our backyard, or you know, we're not willing to work with you. I don't know if there's any kind of like rivalry between the mounted police and like regular police officers, but. It, It seems like they're butting heads and are unwilling to work with each other. And Meanwhile, there's, you know, 50 plus women who are missing and nobody is doing anything to help them.
0: Exactly. It's ridiculous.
1: So just like us, the detective continued to grow more and more frustrated. He felt that if these women were from any other walk of life, there would be more of an effort to find out exactly what happened to them. Now, a short time later, another source came forward. So this is source number two and again named Willie Pickton as the man murdering the missing women. This time, the man told Schenner that he had noticed handcuffs in Pickton's bedroom. He also spoke of a deep freeze from which he was served a strange meat. The tipster believed the meat to be human. So imagine, like, you know this guy, you're friends with this guy. You go over there, he gives you some food, and then, like, you leave, and you're like, I think I just ate a human being.
0: I have a lot of thoughts on that. Like, one, you know what pork tastes like and i've even had like smoked wild hog and it still tastes like pork. I don't know what human flesh tastes like. <laughs> Nor do i ever want to know what human flesh tastes like, but we could ask army hammer what human flesh tastes like.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it tastes like pork, i guess you would never know.
0: I mean, i just can't imagine that. I mean, weird. I don't know. I I I hope
1: Now, the tipster also told the detective about a female friend who had helped Picton pick up women. Her name was Lynn Ellingson. In 1999, Lynn lived on Picton's farm for several months. One night, after getting high on crack cocaine, Lynn fell asleep inside the trailer. She awoke in the middle of the night and noticed the light on in the slaughterhouse. Lynn stumbled outside the trailer to see what was going on. She slowly opened the door, only to be faced with a woman's painted toenails dangling above the ground. Picton was there, cutting strips of flesh away from the body. Lynn immediately fled the farm on foot, and she later told the informant that she didn't realize that human fat was so yellow.
0: I'll be right back, John. I'm going to go vomit.
1: I told you this one was a dark one.
0: I mean, oh gosh, I don't really have anything to say.
1: Well, I'm just trying to picture myself as like
0: walking into the slaughterhouse and seeing a human filleted open. I mean, when you watch scary movies and you see like the pigs hanging or the cows hanging, even when I'm in restaurants and they have like the aged meat hanging in the glass cases, I just, I can't do it. Like I eat meat, but I don't indulge in a lot of meat. And so that's just, I could, uh, no, no.
1: So I love meat. I indulge in a lot of meat. However, I get upset seeing lobsters and tanks at like grocery stores. Yeah. Or like, just because I like a cheeseburger doesn't mean that I want to, you know, get to know that cow who is going to become that burger, right? Like, I really like the meat, not necessarily super pumped about where it comes from, but I know that I like it. And I know we probably have listeners who are vegetarians or, you know, ethically. Yeah.
0: So sorry. We'll put a cannibal notice on this one.
1: Right. But as I was researching, I was trying to put myself in the mind of someone where, I've just done a bunch of crack cocaine. I've been partying. I've been up for like, who knows how long I've been living on this guy's farm. I wake up in the middle of the night after a binge. I've never done crack cocaine, but I don't imagine you wake up being like, I'm ready for the day. You know what I mean? So like waking up, you're disoriented and there's a light on and like, that's what you stumble into. It's obviously fight or flight. And in this case she fled, but like, I don't know what I would do. You know what I mean?
0: Well, she doesn't know that she's not going to be the next painted toenail woman hanging from the slaughterhouse. So I would run. I would flight on this one.
1: Now, what's interesting is that Picton didn't go after her. He considered her a friend and was like, I couldn't hurt her. We're friends. There's a difference. This is. She's not the
0: typical sex worker, drug addict that he's used to harming.
1: Now because of these revelations, Schenner thought he had more than enough evidence to bring Picton and Ellingson in for questioning, but again the RCMP would need to be the ones to do it. Ellingson was eventually brought in twice, but each time refused to answer any questions. Officers did visit the pig farm, but were told to come back during the rainy season as they were too busy working. Picton was questioned and denied killing anyone. He offered to let RCMP search the property. Shenner was astonished to discover that they never followed up to complete the search.
0: I'm just getting more mad at the RCMP. I don't know how police task force work in Canada, but you have two people saying that they have seen stuff and they're just ignoring it. That's really, really frustrating.
1: Yeah, especially if you're the detective who's like, do your job.
0: Yeah, he's hand feeding them like a like a solid. like it's not like we need to really investigate. It's like, go and look and you'll find the things. And be like, oh, come back in the rainy season and you can check it out later. AKA, let me get rid of all my cut up human bodies in my deep freezer.
1: Now, at this point in the investigation, the number of missing women was at about 30. Schenner had took this especially hard. He was having nightmares and experiencing body aches. He fought the urge to go to the farm himself and demand answers, but it simply wasn't his jurisdiction. By late 2000, Schenner actually suffered from PTSD and he has to be transferred to another unit. So this one case and knowing that something was happening and seeing nothing being done just wrecked him and he like couldn't do it anymore. And to me, that makes a ton of sense. Now, in 2001, nearly three years after Schenner received the first anonymous call, Vancouver police and RCMP finally decided to work together in a joint operation. They pulled in sex offenders and predators and compiled a list of 100 men. However, to Shenner's disappointment, they did not prioritize subjects. So despite having an amazing amount of information on Picton, he wasn't at the top of the suspect list. Now, in 2002, in a total coincidence, a junior RCMP officer was dispatched to Picton's farm to investigate claims of an unlicensed gun on the property. While looking around... The officer discovered an asthma inhaler with Serena Abbotsway's name on it. Serena was one of the missing women. Within hours, the Picton Farm was the site of Canada's largest crime scene search ever done. Investigators took 200,000 DNA samples and seized 600,000 exhibits of evidence. Archaeologists and forensic experts needed heavy equipment to sift through 383,000 cubic yards of soil in search of human remains. The cost of the investigation was estimated at nearly $70 million. So if you think about it, 1994, $2 million was worth $4 million today. I don't even want to know. I'm not even going to look it up because I'm sure it's astronomical. But whatever the point of inflation is on $70 million from 2002 to today, I'm sure it is absolutely, again, just insane.
0: That is so much DNA and so much evidence that I hope that when you get to the end, that Detective Sheener gets an amazing bonus. I hope he rubs it in their face. like I told y'all so, and now it's turned out to be the largest crime scene ever in Canada, and the whole time they just ignored him, put him through torture and agony.
1: It wrecked his life. You know what I mean? Now, additionally, there was blood found in the trailer, and upon testing, a DNA match came back to Mona Wilson, who was yet another one of the missing women. On February 22nd, 2002, Willie Picton was arrested. Now, while in a holding cell, Picton actually put the final nail in the coffin when it came to the case against him. An undercover officer was placed in the cell next to Picton. Believing he was another criminal, Picton told the officer that he had killed 49 women and was upset that he wouldn't make it to 50. Police would also discover that Picton would grind up his victims' bodies and dispose of them in barrels at a nearby animal waste facility. Now, one thing I wanted to call out here he would grind up their bodies on a pig farm where pigs would be ground up in the same grinders, so there are a good amount of people that have been on his property who believe that they were served human being at some point.
0: Oh my gosh, did he sell these pigs to Like consumers?
1: I imagine so. I mean, it's a pig farm, so you're probably selling them to somebody.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, keep going. I'm nauseous.
1: Additionally, friends and people close to Picton said that he would brag about feeding bodies to the pigs on his farm. Now, you may know, but pigs are notorious for eating anything and everything. And it's believed that the bodies were fed to the pigs to dispose of any potential evidence. Police believe that they could tie Picton to 26 victims. On December 9th, 2007, he was found guilty of six counts. Picton was sentenced to life imprisonment in a federal penitentiary with no possibility of parole for 25 years. In 2010, prosecutors declined to charge Picton with the other 20 as it would add no further time to his sentence. Now, I'm sure looking at your face right now, you're probably like, Why not? And I think the families of the victims had a lot of the same questions.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's going to extend his sentencing or not. And I get that, I guess, from a legal standpoint. But give it to the family as closure. Like, we are going to charge him or we're going to say that he's responsible for these murders, but he's already in life in prison. Like, there's no way he's getting out. Okay, then that makes me feel better as a family member. But don't just discredit that. That makes me, no, I don't
1: like that. Yeah, and I definitely agree. You know, I can imagine that even if he's not getting any additional time as a family member, someone who cared about one of these people who was missing, I would want that responsibility and to be able to say, like, this person did it. I lay it at his feet and like to have somebody acknowledge that this is the person who took your loved one from.
0: you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Now, Detective Shenher described mixed emotions when Picton was arrested. Shock, elation, dread, excitement, sorrow, grief, nausea, it was all there, jumbled up together, he said in an interview with the BBC. It was a hollow victory and all I could do was cry. Also in 2010, in response to the enormous public pressure, the government of British Columbia announced the Missing Women's Commission of Inquiry to look into the police's conduct. Now, this commission ruled that the police's handling of the investigation was a blatant failure. However, they praised Detective Schenner for his dedication, determination, and diligently fighting for the victims. Now, if anybody is listening, and this may sound familiar, Criminal Minds actually did an episode that was based off of Willie Picton loosely. It was about a pair of brothers. One was a paraplegic, and he would send his brother across the border from Canada into Detroit to bring back prostitutes, drug addicts. They would kill them and then feed them to the pigs. So if this at all sounds familiar, they did take some artistic license with it, but it was very much based on this true story. So that's the case that I brought this week, Olivia, let's talk about it. The look on your face. I want to know what's behind it. Talk to me a little bit about what you're thinking.
0: I'm just really nauseous right now. I have so many questions that go down this rabbit hole of like, okay, he's a pig farmer. He uses the same grinders. I'm just worried that where does this pig meat go to? You know, I mean, most people who have those big farms, like you said, are selling to the consumers. And I just wonder if people in Canada questioned if they ate human.
1: Well, I'm sure nobody outside of that general area would question it. You know what I mean? Like if we go to Kroger or Publix or if you're from up north, like Meyer or whatever, you go in the grocery store and you buy a pork loin. Now it probably comes from one of like three factories, you know what I mean? Or like one of three companies. But back then you didn't know where it came from. You know what I mean? Right.
0: I mean, I lived in the Midwest for four years and you know how many times I drove past the 18 wheelers with the little pig snouts hanging out. That made me so sad. And I just, I'm just really kind of grossed out. I don't understand like how someone can do this to anybody and to 49 women.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy. And we're also going to include a link because I did want to, you know, go through and mention each victim, but there are so many of them that it would be, you know, another 30 minute podcast. So if you do want to go in and look at the victims and look at the timeline, you can do that. There's a link that has each one of their pictures and and when they went missing, but I'm right there with you. Cause I picked this case. I was like, you know, I want to do a Canadian case and I'd known about it. In pieces, right? But I didn't right. know that it was as dense and as disturbing as it actually was. And then I got through the research and I was like, well, I mean, I researched it. So that's this week's episode. <laughs> you know right? I mean? I'm kind so. of glad
0: that I didn't read the show notes. Like I said, when you sent me the show notes, I was like, the title says it all. Yeah. Deadbolt. I'm not really that scared of Willie Pickton because I'm, again, not of his class of women he's after. I'm not a sex worker. I'm not a drug addict. But disgust, it's a 12. Like, I just, I have this ugly, sour face. Like, I just wish people could see my face right now. My stomach is really kind of grossed out and uneasy.
1: I'm going to agree with you. I mean, for me, I'm going to put this higher on the actual test itself because, yes, he was picking up prostitutes and drug addicts, but, like, there was nothing stopping him from grabbing somebody else. You know what I mean? That's
0: true. You could have been the next pig slop.
1: Right. Or you go to a, you know, someone's like, hey, you want to go to this party? You know what I mean? And you're in the middle of nowhere, you know? so
0: That's true. That's true. I'm just stuck on the, I'm just, I'm stuck.
1: I mean, I'll tell you what, the next time I go to the grocery store. I'm I'm checking where my
0: pork comes from. I'm glad that's one of the one meats I don't really eat. Like I like sausage a little bit and I love pepperoni. But other than that, like I don't,
1: I don't do pork.
0: Yeah, this was a gross one, John. You did it. Like I'm I'm just
1: So I need a number though. I'm the Deadbolt. Okay, on the Deadbolt okay, test. The dead where does this test. Fall now for that
0: you? you're talking about it on the Deadbolt test and it being that you could be at the party. I could have been at the party with a friend and I could have been chopped human. I'll give it a nine.
1: I'm gonna give it a nine too. Like, okay. I'm right there with you. Like I think this is one of those ones where I know we tend to look at like the crimes and like if it would happen to you. But okay. Because it's so, this is like Hannibal Lecter, like country Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's one of those things where like you have to look at everything and everything is terrifying.
0: It's really gross. I'm really grossed
1: out. (laughs) And I feel really bad because you're going to dinner after this.
0: Good thing we're eating (laughs) fish.
1: Hey, that's rough too because I love bacon. I love Pork loin? Like, I'm a like... My roommate
0: offered me pork loin the other night. I said, nope, don't do it. Again, I don't really eat it. I don't like pork chops.
1: Oh, man. A ham and Swiss sandwich. A little honey mustard. Oh. I
0: do like Canadian bacon, though, on my pizza. As
1: soon as I'm done here, we got a pizza with ham and chicken. I'm going to town, but...
0: Did you do pineapple on your ham and chicken we pizza? We did. Oh, very good. I was about to say, if you don't eat pineapple on your pizza, I'm done with you. I'm not going to and- go down the rabbit hole of popcorn and pasta because i saw how much hate you got in the facebook group oh my god you just must not like things with peas
1: no i mean i like uh like peppercorn ranch I like.
0: <laughs> uh, okay we don't have to go down that I like, but like I'm pistachios
1: i like I'm trying to think of other foods that start with me
0: at least this week we'll both get hate if it's you eat pineapple on your pizza because i like, like pineapple like, as a pea food
1: pizza. i will eat some pineapple <laughs> Well, Olivia and I, we are both putting this as a nine on the deadbolt test, but we want to know where does the pig farmer, Willie Picton fall on your deadbolt test? I have a feeling I know we're going to get some high answers, but we still want to hear you. You can find us on Instagram, check the locks pod. We're on Twitter at check the locks. Please, if you are not in our Facebook group, join our Facebook group it is the best place on the internet. People were making fun of me so hard, giving me so much garbage because I don't like popcorn, I don't like pasta, I love pizza. It's another pea food, but getting just so much snack. Aaron, I'm talking to you. You know that it's you you're making fun of me. You're not inviting me to the, you're not inviting me to dinner. It hurts my feelings. But let us know. We want to hear. We want to know where this case fell on your deadbolt test, Olivia. No pun intended. But after that I do think we need a palate cleanser. So do you have a five-star review for us this week?
0: I do. I do. And this week's five-star review comes from Sailor R. Sailor said, I haven't found a podcast I like with multiple hosts until now. So thank you, Sailor, for that five-star review. We're glad that you like listening to John and I. I hope you continue to. Let us know who you are, where you live, and we'll send you some swag.
1: Yeah, Sailor, thank you so much for taking the time and, Leaving us that review, you know, we talk about it every week, but those reviews, they help us get out in front of other shows, uh, helps more people find us and helps our community grow. So, again, thank you so much for taking that time. We really do appreciate it. Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review read right on the podcast, what's the best way to do that?
0: Well, they need to go over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our homepage, scroll all the way down until you see the five stars, click all five stars, leave us a review, tell us what you like about us, tell us what you like about the podcast. Send us some love and hopefully you'll be the next five star review read on our podcast.
1: And again, I know we say this every week, but these reviews, they do mean the world to us. And if you have left a review, we thank you so, so much. If you are checking out the show, you know, Apple actually just featured us in the Dark Side collection on Apple podcast. So there may be some people who are listening. You just started following. You know, if you're liking the show, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you. Also got a surprise for you. We got a voicemail. Yes. This is three weeks in a row
0: People are hearing me People are listening Thank you Who
1: is this voicemail from? This is from Megan And I say we go to the phones
0: Hey, I just wanted to say that Olivia did an amazing job With the Israel Keys case Um, That was a 10 for me for sure I love listening to you guys You are awesome together And I hope you guys have A lot more episodes in your future Thanks so much Thank you, Megan. I just had to, I have to rub this into John's face. He gets his feelings hurt when people don't shout him out. You did redeem yourself when you said y'all are great, but I have to let him know. I'm the one asking for voicemails, so they're going to be directed towards me.
1: Listen, my feelings aren't hurt. It's just, (laughs) I do a lot. Sometimes you want to feel appreciated. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just glad that we're getting voicemails at all. That's my. Yes.
0: I love it. I love it. So thanks, Megan. Megan. Yeah, and let us know who you are, um, what your address is, and we'll send you some swag, too.
1: Yeah, and again, both Megan, both Sailor, we would love to send you some stuff. Thank you for the support. You can reach out to us on Instagram, Check the Locks Pod. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Again, hopefully you guys are in our Facebook group. If not, join. You can reach out to us there. If you are not a social person, totally understand. Head over to Check the Locks Hit that email button. Send us an email. Let us know that it's you, and we would love to send you some stuff. So. That's it. I know you have a dinner party. I'm sure you're super excited for it now. Hopefully, our friends in Canada, our listeners in Canada enjoyed this show. But uh, that's episode 22.
0: That's awesome. I mean, 22 episodes. I'm so proud of us. And I'm so thankful for our listeners. We could say this all day long, but it's really a dream of ours to like, do this podcast. So thank
1: I couldn't agree with you more. This is so much fun and it's something that I look forward to every week and to see the community grow, to see people be involved, to see people actually take a vested interest in it is absolutely amazing. So from both Olivia and myself, thank you so much for checking out the show. Thank you for being here with us every week. That is it. We will be back next week with another truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check
0: the locks. See ya.